In addition to dog-eared, I have a show called Health Power. Now, I've been in health media for 24 years, radio, TV, and podcasts. And I really care about not just what I put in my body, but what I put on my body. So I am absolutely in love with One Earth Body Care. Now, I extend that to my pets. I'm very careful about what I feed them, and I'm very careful about what I put on them. So I was so excited to find out that One Earth Body Care also has pet shampoo bars, which are phenomenal. They're gentle with organic oatmeal the Sioux skin, their neutral pH matches your pet skin pH, last 20 plus washes for large dogs and they're scented with pet friendly essential oils. They also have a skin fix for pets, organic coconut, sunflower and jojoba oils. It has calendula, which stimulates healing. It's great for hot spots, itchy patches, and their nose and paws. It's edible ingredients, safe to lick, and it's available with lavender, oil, or unscented. So I highly recommend you go to oneearthbodycare.com, click on pets, and get these for your pets. And while you're there, you can get wonderful things for your hair, your face, and body, and more. Again, oneearthbodycare.com. If you listen to the show, I always start the show with, does your dog do such and such? Now, I used to use examples of my Pity Blue and my Benji Lab, or excuse me, my Lab, he's my Benji Lab, my Lab Benji. But then I thought, you know what? I want to ask the guests. And the book that I just read is so mind-blowingly amazing. And I'm so impressed with what this fantastic woman, Christina Hunger, has done with her amazing background in speech pathology, working with children, how Stella learned to talk, the groundbreaking story of the world's first talking dog. I think I know what her does your dog do is going to be, but let's try it anyway. (laughs) Hello, Christina. Does your dog do what? What's something unusual? (laughs) <laughs> your dog does. <laughs> Hi there. Well, Hi. we can say, does your dog talk? I know. Yes. It's a, a crazy question that's been, you know, asked forever. What if our dogs could talk? And now it's becoming a reality, which is so exciting. And I think something that's even more exciting is how um, every dog is ready for this stage of development. It's not just a couple of dogs are able to do this. So I love educating um, dog owners on what their dog is already doing that shows they're ready to use words. Christina, when did your love of dogs begin? Before I can even remember having memories. I, gosh, I loved dogs so, so much when I was little and I couldn't have one because I had really bad asthma when I was a really young child. And so that's why and we got our first dog when I was 10. I had, it was under control a bit more than we got like the sign off from my doctor that it'd be okay. But I had stuffed dogs, robotic dogs, like every form of dog. I just wanted a dog so badly. And actually in the past couple of years, my mom has like gone through some of my old stuff from childhood, childhood and has sent me like I was like four, I was making up little stories about dogs or pretending that I had a dog and writing about it. So first I want to know, when did you know that you wanted to be a speech therapist? I found that part of the book so fascinating. Yes. So um, when I was in college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew that I loved helping people and I wanted to do something in the health related fields, but I wasn't quite sure what. And my first year of college, I was just exploring some different majors and a friend actually recommended that I take a class in the communication sciences and disorders department, 
which is the uh, major for speech pathology. And so I trusted her opinion and I took the first class at the intro class and I was immediately so hooked and obsessed. And, you know, it wasn't something that I had a big background in. I, I didn't see a speech therapist when I was younger. Um, I have, I had knowledge of the field, but I didn't know um, too much about it. And so um, during this intro class, I, I shadowed different speech therapists and just fell in love with it. Honestly, I've always loved communication and been really passionate about communication and found this really unique balance of being able to teach. And it was also this like health profession. So once I took the first class, it, it really um, felt meant to be at that point. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, we learned a lot about AAC. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, AAC stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication, and it's a part of the field of speech-language pathology, and it pretty much means any way that we communicate other than verbal speech. So what this looks like in speech therapy is helping people with um, different disabilities and disorders who aren't able to talk with verbal speech be able to talk in a different way. So it sounds very technical and, um, you know, kind of out there, but it's actually a lot simpler than you might think. So uh, what I would do with a lot of kids that I worked with is have communication devices that looked like tablets, like an iPad. Sometimes it was an iPad. And it would have a bunch of different icons that all represented a different word. And so instead of a child um, saying a word with verbal speech, if they weren't able to, or if they weren't able to fully communicate with verbal speech, this was like a great support system to have in place. Uh, the child could press a button and it would um, actually say the word that they intended to. And so that's one type of AAC. Um, a popular example that people can think of and, and be aware of is Stephen Hawking. Um, he needed a, a communication device due to his ALS. And I think that is a fantastic example of the mismatch that can happen of a person's verbal speech uh, capabilities versus what's going on in their minds and their language skills. So, you know, the world is so grateful for AAC to be able to bridge that gap in those kinds of situations, and especially with kids who are learning to talk and aren't able to with verbal speech. It's incredibly powerful to give, um, you know, that individual a way to express themselves and understand language and, and how to use it. Well, I love in the book you write, quote, some parents and even some professionals assume that kids with significant disabilities know very little or are too difficult to teach. In my experience, many professionals just didn't know how to give them the opportunity to learn or discover their potential or didn't stick something out long enough to give it a real chance. And you also say for kids using AAC, belief and potential is everything. And that belief and potential you were able to see when you've got this little puppy dog, it's beautiful. Oh my God, Stella, those pictures, she is so <laughs> precious. You were starting to see her kind of, you know, make things clear that she clearly wanted water. She clearly wanted to go out and you thought, wait a second. So expand on that for us, how this all came yeah. together. So during my day job every day, working as a speech therapist, my main focus every day with anyone I was working with was on all of the ways that they were communicating. And that background and that mindset that I was in was instrumental in seeing what Stella was doing and then thinking about what could be possible because of what she was doing. 
So I knew that verbal speech wasn't the only way to say words. And I have this background in language development where I know all these milestones that happen before kids even say words that are indicative of their language development. So when I brought Stella home, it was only a couple days after she was living with us. She was a little eight-week-old puppy, and I saw how much she was already communicating through her natural body language, her gestures, her barks, her whines. And I just, it's something that once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. It's like, look at all of these skills she has. She, when she's out of water, she'll, you know, paw next to the bowl. She's starting to understand the words we're saying to her. She has different tones for her barks and her whines, you know, to indicate different um, needs very similar to babies and toddlers who are developing their language skills. This all comes forwards. And so I remember just having this light bulb moment. Like there's so much research showing that dogs understand words. If they can understand words. Why can't they say words? What if they had a different way to say words? Very similar to the way um, that I worked with children. Once I had that idea, there was no going back. I could not stop thinking about it and wondering what would happen. It was pretty remarkable too, because you never know where it's going to go. And that's something you talk about in the book. And, you know, to have, you know, you talk about inventors and having this belief and this creativity and, you know, you know, you started with outside, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things and I want to give too much away, because I always want people to get the books here on dog eared is that she was able to put together phrases and one of the ones that blew me away, and I'm sure you've heard this before, is when her beach button wasn't working, she was able to say, I'm missing a word, but it was something like water outside go or something. Yeah, help water outside. How shocking was this to you or was it not because you kind of saw the progress? That moment was extremely shocking. There were different milestones along the way that really showed me where this could be heading. and it was farther than I ever thought would be possible. So when I started teaching Stella, I started with outside and then I added a couple more uh, just simple words because my initial idea for what could be possible was just, you know, instead of Stella having to whine or bark and me not understanding exactly what she's saying, maybe she just had a few different words for some very basic needs. She could tell me and I would always you know, understand what she was communicating and that ended up being true <laughs> that she um, you know, was able to do that. But the moment that I saw it progress from there for the first time was actually seeing her use one of those simple words in a new way. Um, I tell this story in my book, but I, I love sharing it. It was when uh, she has, so at this point she had words outside, play, and water. And I had only ever modeled the word water when I was filling up her water dish or when it was empty or when she was drinking water. But one day when I was watering my plants, um, Stella, you know, kind of like following me around watching what I was doing. And then she turned around, went down the hall into a different room where her buttons were, said water, and then came back and continued watching me. She didn't take a drink of water. Her water dish was full. She didn't need water. She was just using that word to observe what was going on, to label what I was doing. And so from my background in language development and speech therapy, I knew, wait a second, this is a whole separate way of using words. It's not just that 
request and then receive something in return. This is just commenting on what's happening. And so that was the first time I saw this potential of, okay, maybe she can use words um, in more unique ways. And then I started adding some more vocabulary to support that observation to see how well she could use words. Then the example of help water outside came a lot later. And that was the first time I really saw her use other vocabulary that she had to talk about a concept in a different way. Like her beach button was broken. And to talk about that, she said help and then combined water outside to refer to the beach. So that was another one of those moments where it just blew my mind at how much she knew and how similar her language skills really were to uh, toddlers and young children. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So for people to understand with these buttons, you record your voice saying these words. So she recognizes that it's your voice. Talk to us about the modeling and how important that is and that you have to be super, I'm assuming you have to be super consistent. Yes, definitely. Consistency is key. And if you think about uh, babies learning to talk, they hear us talking for about a year before they start really using words on their own. So um, development is different with dogs. They're born able to do more right away than human babies are. So a little bit different in the the timeline and everything. But the bottom line is um, our dogs have to see the buttons in use in order to know how to use them. So it's simple. It's not easy to do all the time because you have to remember to do it and um, just kind of the how and when. But all you do is whenever you're saying one of the words that your dog has access to with their buttons, um, say it with your verbal speech, like outside, and then you're also pressing um, the button for outside simultaneously. So you're showing your dog how they can say that word too. And they're, you know, putting the dots together that they're hearing you say outside, you're pushing the button for outside, all during the context of going outside, which teaches them, you know, how they can use that word and say it if they want to. Now you started with Stella at a very young age, right? You Mm -hmm. got her at eight weeks. You said a couple weeks after you started. My pity is eight and my Mm -hmm. lab is nine and a half. So is that an obstacle or do you feel like any dog can learn with the consistency and doing it correctly? Which, by the way, you have all these great takeaways in the book, which will help everybody do this. It's a it's a great question. And one, you know, that's on everyone's minds as well. It's not everyone just has a, a young puppy ready to learn something. new. And actually, um, it's it's pretty interesting. I've seen dogs of all ages learn um, to a different extent. You know, maybe the outcomes won't be exactly the same than if starting from puppyhood. But the interesting part is um, kind of the big obstacle you're working with um, with a puppy is that a puppy doesn't have an understanding of what words mean yet. So you have a lot more time spent in the beginning just talking to them and associating words with actions and what's going on. Uh, with your older dogs who you've lived with for years and who have heard you talking to them for years, most of the times they already have a strong understanding of what a lot of words mean. And a lot of times you as the owner know exactly what those words are that <laughs> yeah. they understand so well. So sometimes older dogs are actually able to pick up on the concept a bit quicker because they already have the understanding of words. It's just using them. 
instead of um, it being like a one-way street of, you know, waiting for their owner to say the word, it's flipping the script that they can say it whenever they want. So it's definitely possible. I've seen so many older dogs learn, and I think it is surprising to people that it can actually be faster than um, a younger dog because they've been hearing and understanding these words for years already. That's a really good point. I mean, I can't say the words now because both dogs are in here and I, I don't want them to think they're going on a W-A-L-K or O-U-T-S-I-D-E or I just, I really want to teach this to Blue in particular. He'll go by the door to go out and he'll just cry. Sometimes mm-hmm. it means he wants to go out. Sometimes it means if it's around dinner time and we haven't fed him yet by even just a few minutes, that's mm-hmm. why. Uh, sometimes it's because he wants you to cuddle him. So it would be nice. I've been amazed you know, seeing how many older dogs have caught on really quickly and how fast too, because even though, I mean, I'm the one who's writing this believe in potential, believe in everyone's potential, but I had questioned it too. I I wasn't quite sure. So it's been really amazing to see um, dogs of all ages, all different breeds, and just the the differences in what they're saying too has been, you know, it's so personality dependent, just like talk about is going to be more similar to our personalities and everyone's different. So it's just so fun to see the overall similarities of what dogs tend to talk about and then their unique differences based on what they love and what they, they really care about. Yeah. Speaking of love, I mean, to have a dog, your dog, be able to push the button that says love you and then your name I can't even imagine the feel-good feelings you must have. I mean, talk about an oxytocin rush. Sometimes still, I mean, this has been five years now that Stella has been using buttons to talk to us every single day. And it it truly never gets old. Like sometimes I still have to pinch myself when she, you know, we're cuddling or, you know, she misses me and says, love you and Christina or, or love you and what she wants to do with me. It's just... It's so powerful to know that how we treat our dogs and what we do with them is so, so important in their lives. Like we're their whole world most of the time. And it just, it's extra reinforcing and a great reminder uh, to really give our dogs the, the love and care and attention that they deserve. It's interesting too. I think this was when you, I watched a bunch of interviews as well. And I think you were on the doctors and I, they were talking about how, you know, you want, people want their dogs to just be obedient. And you're like, yes. I want to know what my dog thinks, you know, right. And I don't think people think of it that way. It's like, well, we get it. You know, he's crying by the door, this, or he grabs his leash. We get it enough. But tell us some of the other things that Stella's really been able to communicate with you and that you're, you see that it's deeper than just going for a walk. Absolutely. So I think, you know, the mindset that I went into this, even when Stella was only with us for a week or two, I wanted to know what she was thinking, and what she wanted. I didn't want to set our relationship up as I say something and she blindly um, obeys and that's it. And I understand there's a time and place for, you know, following commands for safety reasons and, and everything like that. But I just wanted to set our relationship up so that I was considering her point of view and her perspective and what um, she really wanted to, to learn about her. And I think what I've really learned obviously is uh, what she likes and dislikes. I know how important um, her outside time is, which, 
it may seem obvious, but the amount of times that she talks about going outside and what we're <laughs> going to do outside and how much she looks forward to that time and really appreciates it. Um, has made me make that a priority multiple times a day to, to keep her happy and, and active and everything. But the other side of it, besides just like her preferences, her likes and her dislikes, is how much she's paying attention to what we, the humans, are doing in the house and the amount of care that she feels for what is going on in our world. Um, we have a baby now. I have um, a 10-month-old baby boy named Max, and that has brought in this whole new dynamic too, just watching her adjust and hearing her thoughts on um, having this new baby has been incredible. And what I've really learned is how much she's looking out for him and caring about him. I remember one day specifically, um, I was really having a hard time getting him down for a nap and he was crying in his nursery and I'm bouncing him, trying to get him down. And I saw Stella out the door just watching and I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, gosh, I wonder what she's thinking. She's probably annoyed that she's not able to rest or wants me to play or wants to go outside. I feel so bad. But she went downstairs and used her buttons to say, love you, bed, happy, want. And it was so incredibly sweet and powerful to see that. She was wanting the same thing that I was in that moment. Like, I love you, Max, baby. I just want you to be happy in your bed right now when he was so upset. And um, it's just an incredible reminder that dogs are compassionate and empathetic beings who are, are really caring and about what's going on in their environment and what they share it with. Oh, yeah. That is so incredible. Now, my husband was joking, but, you know, because Blue is a terrier and terriers are really stubborn, he's like, I could just imagine that Blue would literally be like outside, outside. And we'd say no. And he would just like, it would just be an all day button pushing thing. It sounds like that doesn't happen with, and I, I shouldn't assume yeah. we have no idea. I mean, we were joking, but I'm wondering if there's certain breeds of dogs, so, or maybe <laughs> they do, it would take advantage of the buttons. And it doesn't seem like Stella does. Like in the book, you talk about Stella pushes beach and you yep. say no later. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think that is a concern that a lot of people share. And definitely a hurdle that keeps a lot of people from trying because they're afraid that their dog will ask for the same thing over and over again or that the, the dog owner will have to say yes to everything. But I think it, again, comes down to giving our dogs a little bit more credit. And in the beginning, when I would introduce a word that was really exciting and motivating for Stella, there would be this period where she was pressing it all the time. I remember one day early with... Um... Yeah, there she is. Oh, there she is. Um, <laughs> when after introducing beach she said it like seven or 11 times that day or in a row just like so excited to go but it does fade the enthusiasm you know the novelty does wear off a bit and dogs learn the patterns of when we are most likely to go or when we're most likely to say yes for something but I think it comes down to understanding that there is more there than just requesting outside and eat and having vocabulary available and modeling it consistently can open that up and show how much more your dog is thinking about and 
observing about what's going on. Once you have had a wonderful dog, a life without one is a life diminished. That's a quote by author Dean Coots, and I couldn't agree more. I want my wonderful dogs to live as long as possible, and what they eat plays a huge role in their health and longevity. Kibble is full of seed oils that wreak havoc on our dog's health. They damage their microbiome, which affects digestion, oral health, their skin and coat, and more. And that's why I feed my dog Benji Yemwoof. Their air-dried food is GMO-free and has an inflammation-reducing recipe with omega-3 and coconut oil. It's all the benefits of fresh food without the fridge, carbs, fillers, seed oils, and other inflammatory ingredients you see in other brands. Yum Woof obsessively crafted a healthy, low-carb food with humanely raised USDA meat, eggs, and other non-GMO superfoods that my dog loves. Try the number one air-dried dog food for gut health for 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. That's 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. Go to www.yumwoof.com. That's www.yumwoof.com. You and your dog will be so glad you did. Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com? Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog-Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. You know, I'm really impressed with what you said about the baby. Uh, because I would think a dog maybe initially is jealous because we really don't have as much time. I mean, I know, I mean, my daughter's 19 now, but I, it, mm-hmm. it's tough on the dogs, you know, when the baby's the focus, did you have anything with that? Was he pressing any buttons more or was he saying help or outside more or park or how did you balance that? Yeah. I and mean, it's definitely been <laughs> a learning curve, <laughs> especially in the really early newborn days. Um, yeah, the time is just very different. I think Stella's form of communication was very helpful so that when she really needed something, she was able to tell us and we could understand it wasn't, you know, like a situation where we're just annoyed that she's barking at us or whining at us. We're not sure why, Like she could say exactly what she needed could repeat herself, could emphasize it when it was really important. And I think that, is extremely helpful in many situations, but especially that one when, you know, we're sleep deprived and figuring out new parenthood and just having Stella being able to advocate for herself was extremely helpful. I think 
um, the noise of the crying is definitely something that Stella struggled with a bit and she would use her buttons to say, uh, cry off or max all done, all done cry. That's amazing. Oh my God. Great to see what about the situation was stressful for her. Like it wasn't that he was there playing. It's that he's very loud right now and it's, uh, stressing Stella out. So then we're able to adjust the environment, adjust, um, you know, where we are, what's going on and, and help Stella through that. So I think the communication has been very beneficial uh, for all of us in navigating this new dynamic. Yeah, that's incredible. I wanted to mention too, in the book you write, Pote, I wanted to pick words that would be meaningful to Stella from observing and interacting with her for just a couple of weeks. It was very clear that Stella loves to play. So when you're setting this up, you want to look for things that your dog, that that's meaningful to your dog. You can expand on that. Absolutely. So a great foundation is looking at what your dog already loves and is already a very strong communicator about. And that's going to be the best way to introduce words that are going to be powerful to them that they'll want to say. Um, A fun fact about human language development, gestures for a word typically develop about two months before verbal speech for a word. So you can picture the example of like a baby raising his arms up to say up. That happens about two months before they actually say the word for up. So when I was picking words for Stella, I wanted to look at what she was already communicating about with gestures and see if that same progression would happen. If I already use what she's great at communicating about and, um, you know, help her use the word for it, could it be the same progression? So starting with that foundation of what your dog is already communicating about, what they love to do is uh, best place. Now, it took a little while for Stella to actually press the button. And you write in the book that Stella gestures at a button, barks at it, walks back and forth, stares down at it. You use a verbal prompt. What do you want? You stay silent for at least 15 seconds. And you say research shows that when communicating partners pause for 10 to 45 seconds, AAC users are more likely to respond using their devices. So by doing that, eventually she was able to hit the button. Yes. So... That was one of the the cues that I used, which is the verbal prompt and then staying silent. Um, The pausing and waiting is honestly the most important part and the hardest part for everyone that I've talked to so far. And it's been a lot of people. Um, I think, you know, most of us are so used to adult conversations where we say something and we get instant understanding and feedback and a response, but it's not always like that, especially with emerging communicators. And that was something that my job had really prepared me for in speech therapy and that patience and waiting and teaching that it's your turn to respond. You can use a word and I'm, you know, I'm sitting here waiting for you, for your voice. And so I think creating space in the conversation is I'm not only like a respectful thing to do to allow a chance for your communication partner to fully respond, but it's a necessary part of the process, especially when learning a new skill. Um, You know, we need to give time for them to process what we're saying, what we're asking, and to think about um, how they could um, use their button and, and try exploring it. So that wait time is very important 
it's simple. All you have to do is not do anything. But when you're in the moment, it feels like it's taking forever. Oh, I bet. So the groundwork is first do saying the words, right? You tape it into the button. You say outside or you push the button first and say outside and then you say outside and then you go outside and then you have to do that for a while, right? With the different buttons. Yes, you got it. So first it's just like you're naturally modeling. You're using the buttons as you're using them. And then once um, your dog starts showing awareness at all, like even if they're just looking at the button or watching you use the buttons or maybe standing next to a button or barking at it, you know that awareness is there. And that's when you start really leaving room in the conversation, in the interaction uh, for them to try because you don't want it to be um, a case of like your dog is just waiting for you to press the button or um, yeah, is waiting for you to do it or to tell your dog to do it. It's the, the goal is independent spontaneous communication where it's not me saying Stella go say outside and she says outside it's not that at all and you don't push their paws right you talk about that yeah definitely don't um, pick your dog's paw up and push down that can be you know very off-putting to a lot of dogs and and make it seem like work and something forced we want uh, the communication to be true and independent and coming from them, not coming from what we want them to say. Now in the book, you take a big cross country move and that's, that's a little disconcerting. And I know that the first couple weeks, maybe even a few weeks, it was a little bit tricky, but then she got the hang of it again with the buttons. And at first you, you had a, a bigger place and you moved to a smaller place. So you put the buttons were in different areas of the house you lived in, in Omaha, but then in San Diego, you put them all on one poster board, right? How, what was it like changing from having the buttons in different parts of a house versus all on one place? Yeah. So actually, when we moved to our apartment in San Diego, I still started with them um, kind of scattered throughout the apartment, but it was a really small apartment. So just by nature, all of the buttons were closer together than they were in our house in Omaha. And so that, I think, helped me model words a lot more because they were always within reach. There was never... A situation where we were upstairs and Stella started playing, but I didn't, you know, we weren't by her play button. We we were always within like five steps of the buttons in this. <laughs> yes. Been there in Santa Cruz at, in a studio apartment with my husband. Yep. Anyway, exactly. go on. So we were always right there. And I think that helped her learn and helped us really get into uh, the routine of modeling a lot too, because of the ease they, they were always just available. And then the decision to put them all together on one board came from observing Stella start to combine words, which again was a milestone that I never had envisioned when starting out. And I was just amazed when this happened. We were coming back from the dog beach. It was a little bit later night than usual and we didn't feed Stella before we left. She marched in, hit eats, and then walked across the apartment to say no. So she put eat and no together, like she hadn't eaten yet. And that's, I was in shock. I didn't know if something like that would happen again. Spoiler alert, it did. <laughs> and I didn't want her to have to walk all around to combine words together and create these unique messages. So then I put them all together on a board for her, which was definitely a learning curve. It took a good few weeks because 
the location of the words is so important. It's um, developing the motor plan, the muscle memory for where each word is. And that's why I always recommend once you are set on a setup and, and place a word somewhere, not to change it unless you're doing a big overhaul of a system because your dog is learning the location of each spot. So it was a big transition, definitely. Well, that's what was so impressive too. There was so many buttons on the poster board. I was thinking, how the heck does he re- she remember? I say he because I have two boy dogs, but how does she remember which one is which? It just did it take a did she have to like go through and like hit them all and listen to them all kind of to kind of practice? Yeah, it just came again from me modeling and her practicing. So now if you watch videos of Stella, it is so extremely intentional and deliberate. It's amazing to watch. But as she was learning, she she did go through these phases of babbling and exploring, which I talk about in the book too, where she was just kind of pressing around and then looking at me to see what I would do. And that's actually perfect. It's exciting to see her, you know, exploring and it gives me the opportunity to teach what that word is by showing her. And that's something I would do in speech therapy all the time too. When kids, um, you know, have these devices, they don't just automatically know what all the words are. You have to teach what they are and what they mean. And so there'll be a lot of pressing random random buttons, but then that's a, a great teaching moment to respond as if it were intentional and show what the meaning is. Do you hear this a lot? I'm guessing, oh, I'm, t- I'm just too busy. I mean, I work a full-time job. I've got three kids. Da, da, da. I think it's, it's definitely a misconception. I think people envision me spending like four hours a day, like teaching Stella or something. But when I started teaching Stella, I was working from 9 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., Every day I was, it was really just the mornings before work and the evenings and then the weekends when I was home with her. And it's just turning your existing interactions and expanding them a little bit. And I think when people realize that, that it's just turning a five second interaction into a minute long interaction, it's not sitting in your living room for two hours at a time going through, you know, all these different training techniques with your dog. So I think, um, just realizing that it's building off of what you're already doing and just, you know, slowing it down a little bit and adding it into your normal routine. Well, tell us about some of the things that you have that people can get to help them. We, we do. So uh, we have the Hunger for Words Talking Pet product line, which is um, available in major retail stores. We're in Walmart, on Petco.com, Chewy.com, Amazon, our website, HungerForWords.com. We have um, a lot of different products within those, a couple of different places to start. Our Talking Pet Starter Set, um, which is like four recordable buttons and an activity guide that I wrote for um, just those beginning words and how to build your communication. And we have some more like expansion sets for as you're down the road or adding on to the vocabulary, which has been really exciting to see people reach that stage. You can get my book, How Stella Learned to Talk. Um, It's sold wherever you buy your books. It'll be there. And then I also offer coaching sessions directly. So if you want specific help with teaching your dog or you've tried and you're stuck, um, we can do virtual coaching sessions. So anywhere that you are, I can, um, you know, create a plan of action for you and figure out what's going on to help you troubleshoot. That is awesome. Now, you grew up with a dog named Wrigley. You got your first dog when you were 10. How does that compare? 
having a dog that can tell you what it needs, what it wants, how it feels versus not. I, I imagine that must be a huge difference. Definitely. I remember I, I'm very grateful for how my parents talked about Wrigley and just like modeled how smart dogs are. And I don't think they knew they were doing this. I'm pretty sure they don't. But you know, everything they said was, wow, look at what she just did. Like, she's so smart. Look what she's understanding. We said this and she, you know, ran to the window to watch and wait for your grandpa. And everything was pointing out like how amazing Wrigley was and how much she understood. And I don't think I realized how important that was in my understanding of dogs until pretty recently, actually, because I know a lot of times it's the other way of unfortunately looking at dogs of, you know, assuming they have more limited intelligence or making fun of them or something. So I'm very grateful for just how my parents approached having a dog and, and talked about her with us. And I think I always knew that she was so expressive and so communicative and had a lot going on <laughs> up there. And now I think back and just wonder what she would have been saying. I think sometimes I forget since it's been five years with Stella, who says exactly what she's thinking and wanting most of the time. Like there are so many times when a dog is whining or barking and you just have no idea, you know, what they're, they're trying to say. And I think, this form of communication doesn't solve everything, but it's a huge step forward into understanding much more of what dogs are thinking about. Now, when you were young, you talk about Ozzy and Truman and how they would ring a bell. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah. So this was um, actually when I was working as a speech therapist in Omaha and it was before we got Stella, but I was just dog sitting for one of my supervisors when she was out of town and she had trained their dog to their dogs to ring a bell when they had to go to the bathroom. And I know that's a very common um, training technique and procedure. And so I I saw this happening, but what I noticed was that a lot of times they would ring the bell even when they didn't have to go outside, but they needed something. I just didn't know what. So they would ring the bell, and if they wouldn't go outside, then I'd be like, okay do you need water? No. Are you hungry? Do you want to play? Oh, maybe you want to walk. And I would kind of go through all of these things. And that also was laying the groundwork for this idea of like, if dogs are already able to symbolically communicate by using like a bell to represent something, you know, what if they had a word or a different way to say each of these different needs so that I wouldn't have to go through the cycle every time of, if you don't need to go out, then maybe you need this or this or this, just kind of guessing until you get it right. And said, you know, now dogs are able to just say immediately uh, what they want and be understood a lot quicker. What was the reaction from the speech pathology community? <laughs> I mean, I know because I read the book, but just give us a little bit. Yeah, I think so at the beginning, like the very, very beginning when I had just taught Stella a few words. And again, this was like nowhere. This was just me in my living room. And I just showed some videos to some coworkers and they thought it was cute, but they didn't understand like the significance of it. And that really surprised me. I was like, no, this is amazing guys. Like I just used exactly what I do at work here and look what my dog is able to do. And I think for me, it felt so obvious. And so like, how could you 
see this that I was really surprised that they they weren't there um, with what this meant. But later on, um, I went on to uh, start a blog where I wrote about Stella's progress, especially as she started adding more words to her vocabulary. And I would share videos. And once it got out a little bit in the speech pathology community, then that was the like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting and so amazing. And I think it just took it. You know, at the time it was only like three words in the beginning, so I think no one really knew what to thought or what to think about it. But once it was more established and people could see Stella using all these different words, combining words together, and then um, reading like my observations of what was happening, it was really really exciting for the speech therapy community because it was something that they already understood. They already knew AAC, and I. I got a lot of feedback from people saying like, I've been wondering this. I've always wondered if this would be possible. Like I wanted to do this, but I didn't. So I think it was something that the idea had been floating around was in people's minds, whether they, they realized it or not. Well, see, that's so cool that you did it. That must feel really good. You know, that people can say, oh, you know, I thought about that, but I wasn't sure. But again, going back to what we started with at the beginning is having that belief in the potential. Definitely. Yeah, that is so cool. How is it seeing people's videos now where they're like, I learned this from Christina Hunger and look at my dog, Tootsie. Now, you know, Tootsie, I don't know why I came up with that name. But oh anyway. gosh, it's surreal. It Now it's so almost mainstream and so popular that sometimes I forget that we were the first ones to do this. It, it just feels like it's part of culture now. It's something that, you know, happens so frequently and so... It's amazing seeing how people have like just taken what I started and have grown it. And I'm so extremely grateful for all of the pet owners who have helped push this movement forward by teaching their own dogs and, and sharing what they're able to say and what they know. Because it's already gone way beyond my wildest dreams. I even in my first like interviews about hunger for words and about what Stella was doing. I never envisioned that this would be something that the average dog owner would be able to do. I thought it was going to be this very like niche thing that maybe just speech therapists teach their dogs to use AAC, to use buttons. And it is a great uh, demonstration of what dogs are capable of and what they're understanding and, you know, a, a symbol of how we should be treating them. But seeing just how many people have started to implement it at home and have had so much success with it. It's been really inspiring to me and just keeps me moving forward every day with this. That is so fantastic. Well, I'm going to get your starter pack because I do want to do this. Christina, the book is fantastic. I, I just love it. How Stella Learned to Talk. The groundbreaking story of the world's first talking dog includes tips on how to teach your dog. And Stella is just beautiful. And I'm just so happy for you because what you've done is so such a gift to so many, to everybody who has a dog and has the potential to do this. So tell us all the ways that we can find you again. Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at hunger number four words, uh, same handle for all social media, but Instagram is where you'll see most of my videos of Stella talking and tips for um, what you can do at home with your dog. Um, our website, hungerforwords.com. You can sign up for our mailing list and get our newsletters and see what we're up to. Awesome. I want to thank you so much for coming on. If everybody wants to check me out on social media, it's at Lisa Davis MPH. You can check out my good boys present. 
and past. I always put up pictures of my beloved Bailey and Bobo. And keep coming back. Also, while you're here, don't forget to listen to Health Power. Everybody have a great day. Thanks so much.